So if someone were to ask you what is an important chapter in the Bible, what would your answer be? Maybe, maybe for some of you, you would answer a chapter from the New Testament where we, hear, we read about maybe in the Gospels when Jesus uh, went to the cross, paid for from the dead, uh, books to greatly encourage you. Bible, and the reason why is because the Bible says that all Scripture is breathed out by God, and it is profitable for teaching, for, for for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. So, as you answer that question, every you would answer would be a correct answer because every chapter in the Bible is important because the Bible is the most important book ever written. But then we come to a chapter in a book like Nehemiah, Nehemiah 3. And as you are going to soon find out with me, that this book, or this chapter, is filled with a lot of names, gives a lot of detail, and a lot of these names are people that you probably uh, wouldn't expect to hear that name, you know, you're at Starbucks and you hear this name shouted out, you probably wouldn't hear that name, it it wouldn't be common, and also uh, you probably wouldn't know how to pronounce them. I will do my best as I read through some of these scriptures to pronounce them. Um, but it's really hard to distinguish even between these names because there are just so many. But all of that to say, I really want us to, to take the time to really dive deep into this chapter because it is an important chapter to read. There is important details in this chapter because God soft soft foot for it to be put into this book, and it is important for us to learn from his word. And so there is something for us to learn in Nehemiah 3, even though it's got a lot of names, and I'm excited for us to see what God is going to be teaching us from his word in Nehemiah 3. And so something that we can learn from these names as we read through these names is that we can remember that God is bringing back the people who were in captivity, who had, as, the, as Jerusalem had been destroyed and they had been taken away captive into slavery and into another, other nations, God is now bringing back the remnant that he kept secure in the time of captivity. And he sustained them because God had made a promise long ago in the book of Genesis to Abraham that, he, that through his seed, through Abraham, all the nations of the world would be blessed. And so as we read a long list of names like these, we are reminded that God is faithful. God is faithful to fulfill and to keep the promises that he has made long ago to Abraham that he continues to make throughout his word. And God is faithful to keep that word. And we know that he was faithful to keep that word because as we get to the New Testament, we see that Jesus comes from this long list, this long genealogy of names, and that he was born of a virgin from the line of David, and from the seed of Abraham. And so from first thing that we can see as we come to a chapter like Nehemiah 3 is that God promises and God fulfills his promises. And now as we focus more on the narrative of Nehemiah 3, the main point that I want to us for us to learn is that God unites our gifts for the work. God unites our gifts for the work that he has called us to. So let's pick it up now into verse 1 of Nehemiah chapter 3. They consecrated it and set its doors. They consecrated it as far as the Tower of the Hundred, as far as the Tower of Hanel. 
And next to him, the men of Jericho built, and next to them, Zakur, the son of Imri. And so, the first name that is given is Eliashib. And it doesn't just say Eliashib, but it says that who he was. And it says that he was the high priest. So that now the significance of the high priest was that he would be the only one who could enter the Holy of Holies in the temple. And the Holy of Holies, if you're not aware, is the inner chamber, was the inner chamber of the temple where God's presence dwelt. It was sacred and it was pure. Not only that, the high priest could only enter into the Holy of Holies where God's presence was if he for and gotten forgiveness for all of his sins and the sins of the people. And so he would offer up a blood sacrifice of an animal to atone for his sins and the sins of the people. As we read that Eliashib is the one who is starting this work in Nehemiah 3, I want us, and that he is the great, that he is the high priest, I want us to turn our attention to Jesus, who is our great high priest. You see, in the book of Hebrews, we find this theme, that Jesus is our great high priest. It shows that while we, the law had made it possible for man to become a priest, a high priest, they were limited by their own sin and the fact that they would eventually die. They, they would not last forever because they were human and they would die. However, Jesus is our eternally high priest, our great high priest who has secured our redemption and cleansing from sin forever. He secured redemption through his death and then rose from the dead, and now he offers us life when we put our faith and trust in Jesus. As the high priest began and consecrated then this work of restoration in Nehemiah 3, we are reminded that Jesus, our great high priest, has done the work and has, cre- has begun this work of restoration, of gospel restoration, that he is inviting us into as the church. And so from this we get our first truth for this morning, which is Jesus has begun the work of restoration. Jesus has done the work of restoration. So it's so vitally important that we understand this because as we are thinking about this work that we're being invited into, and we can talk about all the things like this is what we need to do, and this is what we're being invited into, this is what we can do, it is important for us to remember that it is God who is the one who is doing the work. It is God who is the one connected to him. We see that it's not all about our works and what we do, but about his work and what he's doing through us. And what I'm, what, as I'm disciples, and he told them that in order for them to bear fruit, which is what he was telling them, talking to them about, they needed to stay connected to him who is the vine. You see, a branch that is not connected to a vine cannot pr- produce fruit because on its own, it is unable to do that. And so Jesus says in John 15, 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So as we're connected to him, Jesus, we, we need to remember that it is, again, it is him that has made it all possible for us to do this work. And it's him who is going to produce the fruit, the work that, we're, that we want to be a part of, that we desire to be a part of, as, we, as we're being um, invited and encouraged to step into the, whatever the work the Lord is calling you into, it always needs to start in this, in this simple place that if 
if we're only connected to Jesus, if all we do is, is, is come to him and read his word and, and depend on him and his, and his spirit in us, then we are going to see the fruit produced. And we're going to be invited into that work, but we need to start in that place of understanding that it is Jesus who is producing the work, Jesus who is, doing, who is producing the fruit. Apart from him, we can do nothing. See, Jesus has begun the work of restoration. The vine has begun to produce the fruit in and through us. So continue trusting in Jesus. Continue reading his word. Continue praying and listening and obeying. And watch God produce the fruit through, through you. Let's continue now reading in verse 3 of Nehemiah 3. It says, The sons of Hassanah built the, sheep, the fish gate. They laid its beams and set its doors, its bolts, and its bars. And next to them, Merimoth, the son of Uriah, son of Hakaz, repaired. And next to them, Meshulam, the son of Barakiah, son of Meshazabel, repaired. And next to them, Zadok, the son of Benah, repaired. So as we read this chapter, we see, again, some more names. And, and it's incredible what God is doing as he's bringing all of these people into this work of restoration. It is a fascinating thing to see all the different types of people that God is inviting into this work of restoration. We've got so many people listed here. We have the wealthy and the poor, the ordinary people and those with power, men and women, young and old, some are single, some are married. The list goes on. And my point is, it's a very diverse group of people. But despite their differences, they're all united in one single work. And that work is the restoration of the wall of Jerusalem. And so my second truth, which is also our main idea for this morning, is this. God unites our gifts for the work that he has called us to. God unites our gifts for the work that he has called us to. As we have been reading this book so far, we have seen clearly that God is at work through the people who are rebuilding the wall of Jerusalem. First, God lays a great and heavy burden on Nehemiah's heart, that there is, needs to be something. God actually lays on the heart of restoring the wall. And now God is bringing all of these people, all these different names who represent all these different people from all these different walks of life into this work of restoration. And so, and then last week we learned that God used Nehemiah to invite others to this work by sharing things that God had done prior to that and leading up to that and how they were encouraged to do that work through Nehemiah's testimony. And the same is true for us today, his church. As we are invited into this work of restoration, God has initiated the work, and he invites us to join him in it. And we have heard the life-changing message of the gospel, and that is what encourages us, and that's what compels us to be a part of the work of the restoration that the gospel brings. We've experienced the freedom and the victory that brings in the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This life-changing message that cannot be then cannot be contained as we are compelled to share that with others, and we are compelled to go out and to do the work of, of inviting others into what God is doing through his church. And if you were with us as we studied the book of Acts, this is just how the, the church started. We saw that there was a handful of, of humble guys that really didn't have much to, to their name that would seem that they would start a movement, Yet God chose to use these seemingly insignificant men filled with the Holy Spirit who were obedient to God's word and command and then 
the, the explosion of evangelism just went out from there. And we saw how individual after individual in the book of Acts came to know Jesus Christ as Lord. And we saw the church spread throughout the known world at the time and is still spreading throughout the world to this day. And the way that the gospel does it, again, is that it goes from one individual to the other. One person's life is shared with another. And now that we've seen how the gospel unites and compels us to do the work, to answer that question, I want to first clarify something. What we are invited into as the church, what we are invited into individually as believers, is the work of restoration that the gospel brings. To see sinners saved. See, Jesus, when he came to, to earth and he had his earthly ministry, it said that he, he said that he came to seek and save the lost and to bring life and life abundantly. And as we are his hands and feet in this work of restoration that he started, that is our same mission as well. To seek and save the lost, to proclaim the good news of Jesus. Whether that be with someone who's never heard it before, for the first time hearing and, and, and being invited into accepting Jesus Christ as Lord, or talking to a fellow believer who just needs reminding of the good news of Jesus as they are going through something and struggling with their faith. While the, the mission is always the same, the way we go about it can be different depending on our specific calling and giftings that God has placed on us. In 1 Corinthians 12, Paul is addressing the Corinthian church about this diversity of gifts. Read with me now, starting in verse 4. It says, Now there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is, it is the same God who empowers. So, remember what I shared before. We have the same mission as the church and the same purpose. Paul is saying the same thing as he's saying that we have give, been given the same spirit, we have been given the same Lord, and the same God who empowers us. Paul then goes on to show how the body is not made of one member, but of many. Each of these members, the foot, the eye, the hand, they all serve a specific role and purpose in the body and the function of the body. While each member may look and function differently, they are all part of the body and all play a, a vital role in what the body is doing. And the same goes for us, the church. Each of us play a different role and a different part of the body of Christ. I also heard a, a story recently about this body that rebels against its stomach. See, all the members came together and they said, why do we have to do all the work of catching and cooking and cleaning and, and chewing all the food? And then the stomach gets to reap all the benefits. And so they're like, let's get rid of this guy. He's just, you know, he's just, you know, taking advantage of all. And they, and they vote to, to, to get rid of the stomach. And as you would imagine, the body does not last much longer because the, the stomach does play a vital role in our bodies. And so this story, and also what, what Paul was uh, illustrating as he was talking about the body and its many members that all function together, is that there be in all have different gifts, who all have different uh, callings, and all have different passions together for one single purpose, and that is gospel restoration. And that's exactly what we see here in Nehemiah 3. God is bringing together a group of people to restore the wall in Jerusalem. And in your own time, I encourage you to read through this chapter. 
I know, that's a lot to ask of you to read through all these names, but really, I would really encourage you to read through these names because there is such beauty in all of the, seeing all the different people coming together for one single purpose in building the wall. And I believe you'll be encouraged. I know you will because it's God's word. And each individual also was called specifically and gifted for the work of restoration. They didn't all come together to one part of the wall and try to fix it all together and, you know, bumping into each other. No, they all, like, uh, very succinctly went along the wall and put, and put it together and restored it. And also, notice that Nehemiah didn't come and see all the problems with the wall and go, all right, this is going to be a lot of work. Roll up his sleeves and start working on his own. No, he, he, we see that God uh, led him to invite others into this work, and God also brought those who would be part of the work. And the same is true for us today. While we do not budge on the gospel-centered foundation of what we are called to as the church and what our mission is, we do understand that everyone is gifted differently and has a specific un and unique purpose in that mission. And we also don't do it alone. So just this last week, Jacob and I were meeting with Tanner, who is over at Waymaker Church, who's a church that's a couple blocks down the road from here. And they're in this community doing a work of restoration through the gospel. And they're doing it differently. They might look a little different than us, but they are doing the work, and we were excited to hear about all the things that God was calling them into. They work with people who are coming out of addiction, who, and some of them maybe even homeless, and, and they come alongside them and show everything, change their whole lives. And they are doing a work of restoration here in this community. And, it, and it's just a beautiful thing to see that God is using Waymaker. And I also want to mention Kosecha. We thank you for coming. We're, we're glad to see you all here. And Angel, thank you for being here, for, for bringing your family. Um, and we also recognize that God has called you to be in Lincoln, Nebraska. It might look a little different, but we're all part of the Big C Church, and we all have the same mission, and we're excited to see what God is doing through you. And, and Angel will share later about what God is doing, but I would encourage you that this is a great opportunity to hear from him yourself, to hear what God is doing, and to, I'm sure he would love for, to answer any questions about what the Lord is doing through him and his family in Lincoln, Nebraska. And so we thank you for being here, and, and we thank you for helping us see this in, in our, with our very eyes, the illustration that God has so many different people, so many different walks of life, and he's calling us into different areas and different places to use our gifts for the work of the restoration that the gospel brings. And so we're so excited and so grateful for that. But it's not just different churches that have different callings and different giftings. We also know that within our very church, there is a diversity of callings and giftings. We have a map out there and we're grateful and we celebrate the fact that that map shows us the unity and diversity of different nations and different countries that everyone in this room has has been from to or has come from, but it's not just the different places that we're originally from that makes us diverse. It's also the giftings that God has given us and the callings that God has put on our hearts that are different, that are, uh, that there's diversity in that as well. And we celebrate that fact that every different distinct calling and mission that God has placed on their lives. I know Joe, he's an evangelist, 
And if you were to talk to him about that, he would invite you to come along with him because he loves to talk to everyone about Jesus and he wants to invite everyone who is interested in doing that work to come along and be a part of him with that. We also have the Herreras, and I love you guys because you guys are uh, such a hospitable family. You're always there to, to, to invite others o- over. You're going to be opening your home this week to have everyone who wants to come and watch a missionary film with you. Um, and you're such a light to the community, and it's such an encouragement to see how God has gifted you as a family to be a light in this community. And also, um, George. I love George because he's got a great sense of humor. And uh, not only that, he is such a, a friendly spirit. I think I saw him peeking around the corner there. He has such a friendly spirit. And when you're talking to him, you know that he's listening and he wants to get to know you. So thank you, George. That's a gift that God has given you. And of course, Lee and Mardell. Um, I am just overjoyed every time I see you guys welcoming people at the door with such shining faces. And you guys are so kind uh, I know to me and to my wife and to others in this church, just the, the kind words that you share. And you, you never miss a moment to share uh, something to encourage others. And that's a gift that God has placed on you. And so as you can see that I could go on all morning just encouraging every single one of you about all the gifts that God has placed on you and what God is doing through you. Um, and we're, we're so grateful for that. We're so encouraged to have you to be a part of this family. It is a huge blessing. And the important thing to remember, though, is that we are all gifted differently, and God has equipped us all differently for the purpose of the gospel. And it's not for us to determine what another person's calling or gifting is. We can definitely coach and to be in discipleship, but it's not for us to judge if God has placed something in someone's life or to envy that other person because they've been given a gift that you think that you should have or that you want. That's why 1 Corinthians 12, 18 says, But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. You see, God has gifted us all specifically and has given all of us a different role in the great call of gospel restoration. We need to know how we have been called, and we need to understand that we need to be connected to the one who is doing the calling. Because it is only when we're connected do, again, we bear fruit, and do we know who it is, what we are is that we are called into as a believer? And, and, but, but knowing what that call is and doing that call is easier said than chose not to serve their Lord. But I believe what's recorded here is very important for us today. See, while the other Tekoites answered the call and did their, work, their part in restoring the wall, these nobles did not. And it says that they did not stoop to serve their Lord. And I think the reminder for us this morning is that God is calling us, but many times that calling can be hard. That calling can look like something that we don't want to necessarily do or think that we're capable of doing, and so we can shrink back in fear. Who knows? There's many different reasons. I know in my, in my own life, I've had so many different reasons why I've either shrink back or uh, didn't do what God was calling me to do because it didn't look like how I wanted it to look or how I would imagine it to have looked. And, and so, and, or we might know what God has called us to, and then we see someone else being called into something, and because it looks different than what we are doing, we start judging them and say, hey, they're not doing it how I would do it. And so, and, 
But regardless of what the calling looks like, we need to remember that God is calling us each individually and differently and specifically for a purpose. And that one purpose is always the same, that foundation of we are gospel-centered and we are doing the work of restoration that the gospel brings. And so there's a story that I want to share about a man named John Hyde. And John Hyde was a missionary who uh, had gone, had been called to, to India in the 1800s, and he felt like the Lord had called him to make a covenant with the Lord to say, I will share the gospel with at least one individual every day and see that they make a profession of faith in Jesus. But I will also spend the rest and the majority of my time in my, in my home praying for the work that God is doing here in India. And so he did that. And unfortunately, at first, many of the other missionaries who were around him began to judge him and say, you know, you just share with one person. You should be out in the community. You could share with 10, 15 more people, and, and you could meet the needs of the people instead of spending so much time alone in prayer. But remember, God had called him specifically to be a, a prayer warrior, and he had called his other missionaries to be the ones who went and did the work. And they noticed soon after, and as the, the years went on as, as of his ministry there in northern India, they saw that when John Hyde was praying, God was doing amazing, amazing things. But when he was not praying, God was not doing as many things. See, God had called him to be the one who was praying for the work that was being done. And that wasn't an easy work. He was, he was fasting, he was praying, and he was, he was really committed to this call, but it looked differently. And as a result, originally the other missionaries judged him. And I share that story because as John Hyde was gifted differently for the work that God was doing in India, God has gifted each and every one of us differently for the work that he has called us to here in Omaha, Nebraska. And I want to, um, or in Lincoln, Nebraska, and I want to encourage you to really be connected to what God is calling you to do, to really seek him, to know what it is that he has gifted you with, what that calling is, and not to be obsessed with what, what is my gifting, what is my calling, but to know that as we're close to the one who is producing the fruit, the fruit's going to be produced. And so spend time with the Lord, continue to seek him, to continue to know that he is the one who is doing the calling. And he may call us to do something that is different, that might not look like we want to do, or might make others judge us, but God is calling us to do it, and we need to stay, stand firm in what God is calling us to do in that work of, sh of spreading the gospel and being a light. And sadly, though, the nobles in Nehemiah 3 did not do that, and Scripture records their rebellion against what God was calling them to do. And again, we don't know the exact details, but they did reason that they didn't do the work, and it could have been that they didn't think they could, or that, that they didn't just didn't want to do it because they were nobles and why would they were called to you know preach the gospel to a thousand people or whether we're called to go clean a thousand toilets if we're surrendered to the lord it doesn't matter all that matters is our yes and god has called us into the work and he has given each and every one of us a gift to carry that out to be dependent on him but I also want to share that serving the Lord and being a part of that work doesn't just look like serving on Sunday morning. Like, we, we are encouraged for every single one of you. You're called to be a teacher in a classroom. God has called you to do that work where he has placed you. Whether you are in an office or um, somewhere 
you know, you're in a building, God has placed you in that building to be a light. Whether you're on a job site, God has called you to do that work of evangelism, to be the, share the gospel with those around you. Whether, whether you're in, in, in your home with your little ones, God has called you to do that work of sharing the gospel with those around you and to be a light. We have all been given gifts, and we have all been called to the work in different places. Tara, you're called to all around the world, <laughs> and that's encouraging. That's awesome. And, and God is calling every single one of us to different places to be a light, and we're so encouraged by that. And so as, as we close, though, I want to, to draw our attention yet again to Jesus who has began this work. See, when Jesus came, he, he was perfectly united with what the Father was calling him to do. He constantly said, what I come, have come to do, I do it because the Father has willed it. His perfect life, obedient sacrifice on the cross, and victorious resurrection on the third day were all in unison with what the Father had willed and what the Father had decreed. And as we are doing the work, and as we are looking to be led by the Lord, to be called into the work that he is calling us into, and to, to know what our giftings are, we can look to Jesus, who has done that for us, who has shown us what that looks like to be submitted and surrendered to the Father. And in a moment, we're also going to be taking communion. And this is a celebration of what Jesus has done uh, for us, and we are excited to do it. We're going to do it a little differently, but before we begin that, I just want to address those who have not put their faith and trust in Jesus. You see, if you're in here this morning and you don't believe uh, that Jesus, his work on the cross was enough to save you, that you're um, still living in rebellion against this, this, this uh, symbol of his work on the cross won't mean anything to you. It, it will just be a piece of bread and, and, and a bowl of juice. But it doesn't have to be that way. You see, God has made the way for your salvation, that if you, if you turn from your sin, that if you repent from those things that are once defined you, those sins, the wickedness of this world, and you turn from those things and turn to Jesus, who has made the way of salvation, who has, who has brought forgiveness sins, then you can be saved. And then you can celebrate with us this, this wonderful work that God has done through communion. And so I would encourage you to do that if you have not done that already. Um, and for those who have done I, like I said, we're going to be doing communion, and we're going to do it a little differently this time. We really feel like this is something that is important, that is edifying to our church as the body of Christ. And so we want to actually start doing this each week in this way. And so it's going to be wafers that were on top. Uh, I hope you don't, you know, have hankerings for them later on. But uh, we're going to have some a uh, actual bread that Todd and Kristen, they're going to come up in a moment, and they're going to have the bread, and they're going to have the juice. And um, they're we ask that you would come up and you would take part in the communion. You would, Todd will give you a piece of bread, which is to symbolize the body of Christ broken for us. And Kristen, she'll have the bowl that you can dip it into the juice, which symbolizes. Um, uh, then we will, uh, as, so as the worship team is going to come up soon, I'm going to pray for us. Comes up, um, that we'd ask that you going to have the prayer teams to the sides going to be praying for you guys. Um, that if you need prayer, we encourage you to do that. Uh, that's what I was trying to remember. If you need prayer, we encourage you to come up to pray because God, uh, he is uh, calling us to be a community together. And as we are together, he has called us to be those who pray for one another. And so we have opportunities for prayer. I would ask, I would encourage you 
um, exhort you to come and be uh, prayed for by another believer, or if the Lord's calling you to pray for somebody somewhere who's sitting, we would say, go do it. Go pray for those people um, because, and watch God work. And so I'm going to pray. Worship team, um, you can come up. Thank you. Jesus, uh, we're, uh, we're just so grateful for this work that you've done. We pray for this, uh, this symbol of communion that you've given us to celebrate as a body of believers. We know that um, it is by your, your work on the cross that we are saved. And as we repent of our sins, we, we recognize that you have forgiven us for all of the wrong things that we've done um, that was sin against you and others. And so we thank you for that forgiveness. We thank you for your, your blood shed for us. We